Hey, if we've never met before, shh. If we have never met before, my name is Matt Velasco. I have the privilege to be the high school pastor here at Grace Church. So excited, so excited to be back with you tonight, the week after winter retreat. Come on, raise your hand if you were at winter retreat. Amazing. Raise your hand if you think the people who came in second place for the lip sync battle got absolutely robbed. No offense. No offense. No offense. Third place got robbed. Raise your hand if you think third place got robbed. Come on now. I agree. I agree. Hey, no, we love you guys. We do. We love you guys. We do love you guys. Just, you got to share it a little bit. You, you, you got to share the dubs. Shh, that's back-to-back. That's true. That's true. Can we give a round of applause to the back-to-back lip sync champions? Yeah, there you go. There you go. They are, they are very humble. They are very humble. No pride in them. I'm just, I'm, just, I'm just saying, man. Hey, you may have noticed by now, but we say something a lot around here. We say that we believe that Wednesday nights are the best night of the week. And, and we don't just say that because we have, like, special favoritism to, uh, like, next here at Grace Church. But we actually believe that wherever you are at on a Wednesday night worshiping the Lord, whatever youth ministry, you are having the best night of the week because we love Wednesday nights. And so if you are new here, so glad that you are here. We hope you feel at home. We hope you want to come back. We really, really do. Um, And and before we actually dive into the teaching for this evening, I want to share some really, really, really exciting news with all of you. I found out about two days ago, and I figured you would be some of the first people in my life to hear about this. My wife is not pregnant. I know. I know. I know. I know. I know. I know. I really let you guys on, though. I really let you guys on. It's actually better. I participated in my very first mosh pit. Right? Sam and Jesse were there, and guys, this moment was so special to me that I actually wanted to share it with you, and so I turned to Sam, and I said, Sam, we're going back in, and I'm recording it, and so check out this video. My wife had not seen that video yet. Now she has. The dude who picked up my phone, guys, there is no, Sam can attest to this, no one more supportive in this world than the dude or or gal you are mosh pitting with. Let me tell you, I got pushed really hard in the back. I got headbutted in the side. Sam got punched in the back of the head. It was amazing. It was really sweet. It was really, really sweet. It was really cool. So I just wanted to share that with you. Are those my expectations for worship from here on out? Yes, it is. That is, that is fully what I expect. But sh- how I actually want to start off tonight 
in all reality, is I really want to honor the Lord and all that he did this past weekend at the winter retreat because God showed up mightily. He changed lives of students, of leaders, of staff. We, show, we saw him show up in absolutely incredible ways. And so I just want to celebrate him one time, just all of us right now. Big round of applause for Jesus. All that he did, all that he did, because let me tell you guys, camp is amazing, and God shows up in amazing ways at camp, and and I want to speak very specifically tonight, actually, to those of you who are in a place of life where you are being faced with having to give something up for Jesus, And maybe you came home from the winter retreat and you realized you have to live a different life and that means you have to change the way you are living. I want to talk to you tonight. Or maybe you didn't come on the winter retreat, but you are also faced with the exact same circumstance. You're realizing that if you're going to do this Jesus thing, there are things in your life that you have to give up. That's what we're going to be talking about tonight. Now, before we do that, I want to tell you about my favorite book of all time, The Hobbit. Any of you ever read The Hobbit before? Yes. So I have been obsessed with The Hobbit since I was in high school. In fact, my guilty pleasure in life is collecting various versions of The Hobbit. I have 14 copies, and I love them. Yeah, one of them's worth like $150. That's sweet, so I'm rich. That's nice. Why buy NFTs when you can buy versions of The Hobbit that are worth $150, right? Right? I mean, that's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. So if you do not know, The Hobbit is this story about a dude by the name of Bilbo Baggins and 13 dwarves who go on an adventure to liberate the lonely mountain from the dragon called Smaug. Say that with me. Smaug. Not smog. Smaug. I'll fight you if you say smog. But there, there is a specific scene in the book and in the movies that a lot of us probably recognize. It's that scene where Bilbo's running through the Shire with the contract he just signed in hand, and he is yelling, what? I'm going on an adventure. And friends, what I want to say tonight is that I think that our lives with Jesus should be a lot like Bilbo's life when he leaves the Shire. The opening words of the hobbit are these. In a hole in the ground there lived a hobbit. Not a nasty, dirty hole filled with ends of worms and oozy smell, nor yet a dry, bare, sandy hole with nothing in it to sit down or to eat. It was a hobbit hole, and that means comfort. The moment that we all remember when Bilbo says he is going on an adventure is the moment when Bilbo had to leave the comfort of the hobbit hole that he called home and do this new thing that he was doing in life. And tonight we're going to explore the story of the Samaritan woman at the well who decided that she also was going to abandon all comfort in order to pursue the adventure that Jesus had for her. So if you have your Bibles, you can open up to John chapter 4. 
We're going to be reading verses 1 through 29. So it's a bit of scripture. It will not be on the screens for you tonight, so feel free to take out your phones. It says this. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisee that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Verse 15, the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying you have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me. The hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Five more verses, verse 25. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with the woman, but no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? Jesus, we love you. God, we ask that tonight you would speak to us through the story of the Samaritan woman at the well. God, that you would teach us how it is that we may live this life that is an adventure with you. 
God, we love you. We're praising your name. Amen. So at this point in Jesus' journey, the ministry that he had been living was starting to get long. And so, so long, in fact, that this is one of the times in Scripture where we actually see Jesus' humanity come to the surface. It says that he sat down at the well because he was tired and he needed a drink of water. And while he was at this well, a Samaritan woman joined Jesus and made a simple request to her. He made a simple request to her. Can you get me some water? To which she responded with a question. How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? You see, Jewish people and Samaritan people hated each other. It was like Vikings and Packers fans. Or Bears and Packers fans. Or anyone in this world and Packers fans. Amen. It was like Republicans versus Democrats. It was like the sheer opposite, absolute despising of one another. Samaritans and Jews did not deal with one another. There was stark controversy between the two groups of people. And Jesus was bold enough to ask for a Samaritan woman for some water. And not only was he bold enough to ask for a Samaritan for some water, but he was bold enough to ask a woman for some water. In the ancient Near East, or what we call today the Middle East, there were no dealings between men and women. And you've heard me talk about this many times, pretty much any time Samaritans come up, I talk about this. But the only men, or the only women men were expected to speak to in the ancient Near East, first century Middle East, were their wives, or their daughters, or their mothers. Those were like the only three categories of women that men were expected to speak to. Otherwise, it was considered unprofessional, unnecessary, even inappropriate for them to interact. However, Jesus crosses two significant cultural boundaries at this well. Not only does he speak to a Samaritan, but he speaks to a woman. And she was shocked. What proceeds is a theological discussion where Jesus slowly reveals to her that he is the Messiah or the Christ. He says, if only you understood who was asking you for water, then if you were to ask, he would give you living water. And she gets confused, and so she, she responds, she retorts to him, how in the world would you give me this so-called living water if you can't even draw water out of this well yourself? She takes him very literally. You're telling me that somehow you can get special water out of this well? Did not my father, Jacob, did not his father dig this well for us to receive the water? Do you think you can dig a better well? She's taking him very, very seriously. She didn't understand what Jesus was saying, but he was patient and he was persistent. He continued, everyone who drinks of this water, the water from the well, will just get thirsty again in an hour. But if you drink from the water I offer you, you will never be thirsty again. It will be like a fountain of life within you. It will permanently quench 
your thirst. And she's still taking him literally and misses the spiritual importance of what he is saying. And so she responds, never being thirsty again sounds great to me. Let me get some of that water. There's this dude on TikTok that I love watching. I watch him like every night. He's this like Scandinavian dude and he just reviews different types of water. And it's the best. And the way he talks is amazing. And the first time I listened to him, Jay was like, what in the world are you watching? And now every single time I watch him, she's like, ooh, is that that water guy? Let me watch because he's that much fun. He hates what he calls Dasani or what, how's he pronounced? Aquafina. I don't remember. It's funny though. He loves Evian. Is what it is? Evian? Eviana? Whatever it is. Fiji? You don't care. Fiji. He's not French, but whatever. So she, she goes quite, she goes like really literal with him. <clears throat> so she's like, I want some of that special water that will like always keep my thirst quenched. And so he's kind of like, okay, fine. I'm going to really show her who I am. And so he switches gears significantly. He says to her, go call your husband and come back to me. Go get your husband. And she says, dude, I don't have a husband. And he goes, I know you don't. You've had five. And the man you're now sleeping with isn't your husband. She kind of looks at him, I like to imagine, because I wasn't there. She kind of looks at him and is like, what and how do you know that? How in the world do you know that? And why is this important to the story? Well, there's a little piece to the story at the very beginning around verse 3 when it says that he went there around the sixth hour. The sixth hour. Here's a fun fact about ancient Jewish culture. The Jewish day in the first century started at 6 a.m. And so if it's the sixth hour of the day, that means that Jesus is arriving at this well around noon. Noon in the Middle East is one of the two hottest hours of the day. And so she literally went to this well at the worst time. Normally what they would do is they'd get their water jars, they'd carry them on their heads for like 4 to 15 miles at 5 a.m. Right when they woke up, they'd go get their water for the whole entire day because it was cool and it, it was like a communal thing. All the women would go together. But for some reason, this woman is going at noon. Scholars don't know why, but we presume, based off of the fact that Jesus is talking about her many husbands and the man that she's currently sleeping with, that she was known throughout town to be a scandalous woman. And so she would have gone to the well at noon because she would have known that no other women were there. It was her one time of the day where she could escape the ridicule that followed her everywhere she went. It was the one time of day when she could take her water jar and escape from the whispers that followed her in Sakar. It was her one time of day where she could just have peace. And so Jesus says to her, what you have said is true. You have no husband, but I know <clears throat> about your past. And then this next thing that she says is one of my favorite verses in Scripture. It says this in verse 19. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Which is actually really significant. It's funny because it's like, well, duh. Like, obviously. 
But it's really significant because this is the first time when she goes from the literal to the spiritual. She stops thinking that he's speaking in allegory or metaphor or literally and starts realizing, oh, this dude has a lot of spiritual significance. He must be a prophet. She starts to think, this is more than just some dude who came to get a quick drink of water. He might actually be someone more important than that. And so what does she do? She has some questions, and she brings up some theological concerns because she's a Samaritan, and he's a Jewish rabbi. And so in verse 20, it says this, Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, this is a Samaritan woman speaking, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. So she's like, I want to have a theological argument with you. And Jesus responds, he says, Woman, which by the way is not like a woman, Whenever you read Jesus or anyone in scripture using the term woman, it's a term of respect and endearment. It's, it would mean that the man was looking the woman in the eyes and saying, woman. It was a term of respect. And so Jesus looks her in the eyes, and he's probably the first man to look her in the eyes with respect in a really long time. He says, woman, believe me. The hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. Our theological dispute doesn't matter. Neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers worshipers, will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is speaking or seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And so the woman thinks to herself, this sounds a whole lot like who my mom and my dad said the Messiah would talk and act like. He's saying things that are familiar to me. My mom and dad used to always talk about this, this Messiah, this Christ, and he sounds a lot like him. And so she says to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, the one whom is called Christ, and when he comes, he will tell us all things. Underline that, circle that, star that, box it. It's important. We're going to come back to that. And so by now, this woman stands dumbfounded. There is no way her sorry life has led to this moment. She would never be the one whom the Messiah of all people would speak to. She would never be the one whom the Messiah of all people would reveal himself to. Maybe you resonate with that. This whole God thing sounds cool and all, but there's no way he would ever want me. Like, there's no way he would want me in all of my mess. There's no way he would want me in all of my sin and all of my mistakes. Like, God doesn't actually want to look me in the eyes. God doesn't actually want me to follow him. God doesn't actually want to speak to me. There is no way. If only you knew what I've done. And then Jesus says these words to her. I who speak to you am he. Her response, there's no way the Messiah would ever reveal himself to me. And then Jesus looks her in the eyes. I am he. 
At that moment, it seems that faith welled up from within her because right then and there, they're interrupted by Jesus' friends, the disciples, the 12 disciples. And instead of asking more questions, what does she do? She doesn't ignore everything that just happened because it seems too good to be true or too crazy to be true. Instead, she leaves her water jar and goes back to town and says, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? I told you to underline something. Go back to that. She said her people knew that the Messiah was going to be who? The one who told them all that they had ever done. She says this, I know that the Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ, when he comes, he will tell us all things. And so she goes into the town and says, come see the man who told me all that I have ever done. She's proclaiming, come and see the Messiah, the one whom we will know by the fact that he can reveal things to us that no one else knows. Come and see him. And she does that. She does that. All she knew was that the Messiah was supposedly going to know all things. And somehow he knew about my past. And I don't know all of the details, but I think this might be the Messiah. So she drops her jar. This is not necessarily a jar. It's like a basket, but I'm going to make it a jar tonight. She takes her jar. She drops it at Jesus' feet. She leaves her jar behind and runs back to her village and tells everyone she can find about this man who told her everything that she had ever done. In between the lines here, there seems to be something we can read into, which I am always hesitant to say in scripture, but there's something here that's interesting. She says that he told her everything she had ever done, but we only see one of those things. The only thing we read about are her five husbands and the man that she's currently sleeping with. And so we can assume that the conversation that was had at the well went beyond just her love life. Jesus sat her down and talked to her about her fears, her needs, her anxiety, the reason why she went to the well so late in the heat of the sun, the family member she may have lost when she was little, the person who, who bullied her or, or bullies her down the village road, the trauma she may have experienced in her past, the shame she felt about that one thing that she had told no one about, somehow he was able to tell her about everything she had ever done. And so she had to tell everyone about him. She dropped her jar. And so should you. I have one point for you tonight, friends, and that's simple. It's drop your jar. For this woman, her jar was her distraction from her shame. She used something that would have been much bigger than this and much heavier than this to run away from her shame. Every day at noon. 
She used something like this to escape the people who were judging her, escape the pain that she felt, escape the man that she lived with, escape whatever it might be. This was her escape. And what did she do? She dropped it at Jesus' feet. Many of us are returning from winter retreat and we still have our jars in our hands. We're still holding on to whatever it is that we use to escape the pain, the shame, the stress, or the concerns of life. And Jesus is saying to us tonight, drop your jar. Why did the woman do it? Why did she drop her jar? It's simple, really, so that she could run. She dropped her jar so that she could run. Hebrews 12.1, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight. Let us lay aside every weight and sin which so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. Running is right here in scripture. That we are supposed to run towards Jesus, but it is hard to run when our hands are full. And so we have to drop our jars. We have to leave them at Jesus's feet and run towards Jesus and tell everyone you know about this man who you've met who has told you everything that you've ever done. Why? Go to verse 39. It says this. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. He told me all I ever did. Her testimony wasn't complicated. Her testimony wasn't complex. Her testimony was simple. He told me everything I ever did. Jesus told me everything that I ever did. Come meet him so he can tell you everything you ever did because he knows our sin and he still sits down at the well with us and talks to us like his friend. He loves us despite us being the ones who crucified him on the cross because of our sin. And he loves us despite us being the ones who hold a jar in our hands in order to distract us from our sin and our shame. But when you drop your jar and run, Jesus will do some pretty cool things in your life and through your testimony. Come see this man who told me everything I ever did. What did that result in? Many Samaritans believing in Jesus the Christ. So how do you do it? How do you drop your jar? Three practical things. 
practical ways that you can drop your jar. Maybe you're holding on to it and you're like, Matt, I know what it is and I know I can't run towards Jesus as long as I am holding it. I just don't know how to let go. Well, first, and it's going to seem contradictory, let go of whatever is distracting you. So how do you let go? You actually let go. Because a lot of times we're holding on and we know what we have to do to let go, but we don't want to because we like it. Because, well, it's not that serious. Maybe the thing that's keeping you from running towards Jesus is an addiction to pornography. And then your leader looks at you and says, hey, you know what? You need to get rid of your iPhone. And you go, whoa, it's not that serious. Okay, I mean, come on. Like, it's not that serious. Really? Maybe your leader says, just don't sleep with your stinking phone in your room. And you're like, I, can't, I mean, it's my, it's my alarm. I can't wake up in the morning without my alarm. Really? Whatever it is that you are holding on to, separate yourself from it. Put space between it and you. Literal, physical space. And it might not be an item, it might be a person. It might be a relationship. It might be a way of thinking. Physical space. Second, don't hide it from Jesus. He already knows. He, know, he knew that she had had five husbands and was sleeping with a new guy. And so let me put it bluntly. Jesus is in the room with you when you sin. Fill in the blank on the sin. The most serious to the most simple. He's in the room with you when you do it because he is with us always. You can't hide anything from him, so don't even try. You should feel no shame in confessing your sin to Jesus. Because we all have that sin, and I'm just as guilty of it as you are. When we're praying and we're confessing and we're repenting, we're like, oh, I don't want to say that. I don't want to say that one out loud. Like, ugh, like, Jesus, I know it's just me and you, but, like, you already know it. Like, you already know it. No, Jesus says, confess it. Yes, he does already know it, so just say it. I don't want to say it. I'm embarrassed. You cannot run towards Jesus when your hands are full. Don't hide it from Jesus. First, let go of whatever you use to distract you. Second, don't hide it from Jesus. Third, tell your friends about your sin. And this one's probably the hardest. Tell your friends about your sin. It's a lot easier not to sin when your friends are watching for you to sin. When you have a friend who's holding me accountable and they are watching, or when you have a friend who's holding you accountable and they are watching your every step to see whether or not you fall into that sin, tell your friends. He told me all that I ever did. Don't hide it from your friends either. Bring it to them. Don't let it fester in the darkness. So maybe tonight you're like, Matt, I have a jar. I know what it is. I am clinging so closely to it. 
I don't want to let go. First of all, I, like imagine me trying to run with this. I'd look so weird. I'd look like a Titan from Attack on Titan. If you know, you know. If you don't know, you don't know, and you're missing out. Imagine trying to run towards Jesus like this. You're going to fall. You're going to stumble. It's going to hurt. You need to let go. And this is what it is like when we are holding on to our sin that we use to distract us from Jesus. So first, set it down. Physical space. Don't hide it from Jesus. Jesus, there is an addiction in my life. And then go to your friend. Ashwin, there's an addiction in my life. And you will find that all of a sudden, the thing you could not let go of, you've left at the feet of Jesus. So how does all this relate to Bilbo and the adventure that he went on in The Hobbit? Well, I'll be honest, not a perfect one-to-one correlation. But my heart is to say this. Life with Jesus is an adventure. But you might need to leave the comfort of your Hobbit whole life in order to live it. Bilbo's jar was the lifestyle that he lived. If he wanted to go on this huge adventure, he had to abandon his hobbit hole and the luxury that came with it in order to be a part of a story that would become much bigger than himself. So if you want to be a part of a story that's much bigger than yourself, then you need to drop your jar. Let go of whatever you use to distract you. Don't hide it from Jesus and tell your friends about your sin. We're going to pray, and then I'm going to leave it up to a show of hands whether or not we want to sing one more song. So raise your hand if you want to sing one more song. Okay, that's enough. Cool. Let me pray. Jesus, we love you. God, there are people in this room that are holding on to their metaphorical jars that they have used to run outside of the village in the middle of the day to distract them from their sin and their shame, to distract them from the consequences of their sin, to distract them from the results of their sin, to distract them from you maybe even, Jesus. So Lord, I pray that we would drop our jars at your feet, that we would not hide our sin from you because you are already so aware of it, Lord, and that we would go to our friends and we would say, I've left this at Jesus' feet. I've confessed it to him. Now I'm bringing it to you. Help me flee from it so that I can go into the town and tell people about this man who told me all that I have ever done. God, we love you.